Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Welcome to the Proclaim podcast. I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Uh, Proclaim is a movement of the Archdiocese of Vancouver, inspiring missionaries, uh, disciples to become missionaries, to share Jesus in their homes and in their communities. And I'm here with a friend, uh, a leader here in our Archdiocese, Joseph San Jose. And I am so excited about this conversation because Joe has so many ambitions and big dreams and uh, has a lot to share just from his own experience, from what he sees, and he's a wonderful communicator, so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing all of what he has to share. How are you doing, Joe? Great. Thanks for having me, Eric. It's so, so great to be here. I would love to first start by introducing you to the Proclaim movement. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, so I've been in Canada since about 98, 1998, so I've been here over 22 years Um, born into a Filipino family. So I'm Filipino. I was born in the Middle East in Bahrain and then uh, flew around, moved around, and then finally settled in Richmond in 1998. Um, Went through all the sacraments and things like that. But once I entered high school, I went to R.C. Palmer in Richmond. I kind of went on a bit of a faith odyssey, not really sure what I believed at that point. Still went to Mass on Sundays with my family. But in terms of a living faith, uh, understanding who Jesus was, I wasn't really sure. I, I had this semblance of maybe God was real, um, but it wasn't personally present in my life. Uh, but through the years, I met people at St. Paul's at church, which was my parish, um, Young other young people who went to my school as well at R.C. Palmer, and gradually started getting invited to things. And, and I wound up in a church choir after graduating from high school. And within a year or two, joining the church choir, I had a really powerful encounter with the Lord through Eucharistic adoration and um, came back to the Lord through confession um, in 2009. It was a very powerful moment and began this journey that I'm on now that's been on ever since. So yeah, big, big, a lot of big things that happened through parish youth ministry, through life team, um, through music ministry early on. And then uh, a couple years later, met CCO on campus at UBC while I was studying and then uh, after that, I heard the call to become a missionary with CCO and joined the team in 2013, and it's what I've been doing ever since. Amazing. And uh, not only are you a missionary with CCO, I think that you really do live out the call to be missionary disciple. So uh, in your own words, what, what, does, um, what does missionary disciple mean to you? Yeah, I think... A big part of it is just being a person who's deeply in love with Jesus Christ, knowing who Jesus is and having a great sense of having met the person and having being in a relationship with him. And then out of that relationship, you just can't help but talk about it. Just can't help but talk about your friend and bring the freshness of the life that you receive from Jesus into your everyday encounters. Well, let's talk about some of those everyday encounters and how you're living out uh, the missionary discipleship uh, in your in your life uh, with your family and your parish community. In particular, I think the parish community is an interesting one. Uh, that's where most of us will find ourselves uh, in living out discipleship, intentional discipleship and missionary discipleship. So uh, tell us a little bit of how you've started to get involved in your parish community. Yeah, I'm, I'm super passionate about the 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 prime essential things of what it means to be 
a disciple because I think you can see that play out in so many different ways. And, and I'm not saying that there's maybe like, oh, that's the wrong way. But I just see through the years, I've seen a lot of activity happen at the parish. But for me, I've always wondered, is that are those activities or behaviors what a missionary disciple really does? And one thing I was hungering for that I wanted to see happen more that I wanted to personally do was talk about Jesus and bring people who don't know Jesus into relationship with Jesus. And it sounds so simplistic and and basic, but actually if I look around that if I looked around at my parish, I just had this hunger. I'm not seeing enough of it. I'm not seeing enough of new people who didn't know Jesus receive the message of the gospel and discover Jesus in the same way I did. And I saw that at my parish. I think there were efforts at my parish in previous years. Um and, and they were really great efforts, and I just wanted to continue. I didn't want it to just be like a seasonal thing where it happens sometimes and it doesn't, but I wanted it to be a priority for my parish um, year-round, that it became a priority all the time to proclaim Jesus, to identify who in our parish doesn't know Jesus yet, and then let's change that somehow. And so um, I brought up these ideas and... Um, Father Don graciously invited me to be part of the parish council at All Saints Parish, where where my family and I are attending for the last couple of years. Um, and just through involvement with the parish council, um, I wound up kind of making a proposal to do like an evangelization team at the parish, of which I am helping coordinate. And so I gathered some leaders, we did some training, and we decided to launch an alpha online, which has been going on for about four weeks now. And uh, it, really, it was just a quick road of like, let's get together. And in a couple months, got launched doing Alpha Online, uh, where we actually have people who I would say don't know Jesus in the call. There are a lot of people at the parish. There are a lot of people who are friends of friends uh, of varying degrees. Um, we have some personal friends. And yeah, there are people who don't know Jesus and, and through through the process are coming to this concept, this idea of knowing Jesus. And so, yeah, just the idea of the simplicity of, of what I wanted to do was in terms of like what it means to be a missionary disciple, that I didn't want to overcomplicate things. I didn't want to create too many loopholes or too many obstacles to have to jump over in order to start doing the thing of bringing people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. Um, so that was kind of what was on my heart and was a priority for me. Like, let's get to that key behavior as quickly as possible. And so far, we're there. We're four weeks in, which I'm very happy about. Uh, I think in the history of the Proclaim podcast, which isn't a very long history, uh, you have said the name of Jesus uh, more times in uh, two minutes than we have heard over, I think, all of the episodes. So Sweet. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I can hear that uh, the name of Jesus is um, is is powerful in your life. Uh, it has power. It's overwhelmed you. And I think that what you're saying is that you have a heart to your and a desire to want to elevate the importance of the charisma as part of the parish activity um, and the sort of the uh, I guess that it, it weaves into all of the activities in the life of a parish. And um, for those uh, who have heard of the charisma, would understand that it's that initial proclamation of the gospel that. Uh, overwhelms, invites someone to uh, make a decision to following and becoming a disciple 
of Jesus. And so launching off is pretty cool. You've gone online with it. Um, you did something really cool with invitations and um, I'm kind of lining you up, priming you to tell yeah. us about this. Cause I thought uh, what you did with uh, invitations was really great. And of course the fruitfulness of that is in, in what you've spoken to with regards to the participants in alpha. So what did you do with uh, um, initiating invitations? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the challenges of, doing evangelization in a parish is you have the temptation of just taking a shortcut of the the path of least resistance and like pulling up your old parish directory or email list and just sending a wide email and leaving it at that and then who you get is who you get Uh, but what i really wanted to do differently was um get all the participants all the leaders hosts and helpers to actually think of who in my life do i want who, who do i think does not know jesus in their lives and who do I want Jesus for? I'm going to write their names down and I'm going to call them. And why phone call? Well, we're in a world where uh, email, text, messenger, you know, everybody can do that. And it seems like the new cutting edge, normal way of doing things. But because there's so much of it, the volume is so high, it gets buried and it, it, it doesn't have the same kind of reverence of communication. Whereas a phone call still has a level of urgency and intimacy compared comparatively. So, um, yeah, so that's that's where we decided. Okay, we're, let's let's train everybody how to do phone calls and make a personal invitation because it's actually it's a, a way easier to reject an email. It's way easier to reject a text message or a, or a messenger thread or, or or anything like that. But it's a lot harder to say no to somebody over the phone who's your friend, a, a living voice. There's silence on the other end, and you're waiting for an answer. Um, so that that was part of the the desire um in terms of like pursuing phone calls and personally inviting people as opposed to like a wide email but then we added the extra step of like well i actually want my leaders to do something about it because it's really easy to challenge people to do something and then leave it at that and it could live or die you know people could get scared and not do it because it can be very scary to invite your friends to make a phone call to invite them to something religious um and so it can be very scary so to help uh overcome the fear and to have a higher sense of accountability to make sure people actually made the phone calls and so that I didn't have to chase after people and say, hey, did you actually call your people? We decided to do the training and then at the end of the training, like put money with your, where your mouth is. It's like, hey, we're actually going to call people now. So go on mute and call the first person on your list right now. Let's say a little prayer. Okay, everybody go on mute. Call the person right now. And I, I made a very, very powerful point to actually pick up my own phone in front of the camera, dial a number and show that I was dialing the number to show that I, that I was going to lead by example and I'm willing to do this. And, and lo and behold, I pretty much eventually, I have a, a screenshot I can show you if you'd like because it was pretty remarkable to me um, of everyone on the Zoom call on mute, everybody's calling people. And you know what? By the end of that time, we people had stories to share. Like I, was, I called this person. I didn't think they were going to say yes, but I called them and they said yes. Uh, and we were able to support each other when they got no's, like, oh, okay, they said no. I'm like, okay, call the next person on your list. So it was really cool. And by the end of it, we had 55 people registered. Uh, and I think if for some of those people, if we hadn't called them, I don't know if they'd be here. So that's pretty amazing. I think you've harnessed the power of social motivation, encouragement, 
And uh, here's one thing I, I admire about your leadership. You're, you're very real and, um, and empathetic when it comes to things like this. So, you know, you know that you, you're invited to model the way, but, it, but you're doing it. I know you probably also did it with the fear and trembling that everyone else would have had oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in their call. So, you know, you're, you're like, I need to step up as a leader to model the way. I'm going to show my phone. And you're, you're probably also thinking, I can't believe I just dialed that and I got to have a call. Conversation, and I got to make the invitation to yeah. you know people on my list. And um, but I, I think uh, everyone in in on your Zoom call would have appreciated that you were in it together. Yeah, and that your you as the leader of that group uh, models the way, but not models the way from a place of like I'm not afraid. Now you you know you got to get to where I am. Yeah, it's like I'm exactly where you're at mission and evangelization has obstacles, which I also face, and we can do this together to overcome those obstacles. Yeah, yeah. And and it was really helpful when I actually got a no from somebody and I was able to share here, like somebody said no to me, like, here's how I'm dealing with that. You know, I don't think it's time for this person, you know, at the end of the day, it's not my call for them to say yes or no, but I, I did my part. I invited them. They said, no, I'm going to try again next time. Yeah. So you've kind of described the bit of the process. Now, I'm sure some of our listeners here are part of communities that are thinking about launching an alpha online, mm-hmm. or they're thinking of hosting an alpha in their home or in a small group with their proximate periphery, you know, those close to them, but far from Jesus. Yeah. Um, what are some tips, tricks, thoughts, uh, principles that you could offer to them when they're considering invitation? Yeah, I would say when it comes to considering invitation, like the first thought I have is to to think far, to, to think to the periphery. Like it, it can be really easy to invite everyone you already know who already goes to all the things. And I think it's, a, a, it's very easy in your head to write people off. Like you'll think of a person and think they will never say yes to this. And so I'm not going to invite them. And I think that's the probably one of the biggest kind of hazards of inviting people that everybody will do almost subconsciously like they won't even think about it it's just yeah they'll never say yes to that so why even consider it and it becomes a quick thing so my counter action to that is when you sit down and write down a list of names number one actually sit down and and do it with a piece of paper and a pen as opposed to like just thinking about it because when you write it down on a piece of paper it becomes real uh, it become it, your brain. Your brain does something. I don't know what. I'm not a neuroscientist that makes it more concrete and makes you somewhat kind of emotionally or psychologically commit to it. Um, but like this, but actually do that in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, who do you want me to invite? Who do you want me to invite to uh, this thing, whether it's Alpha or Discovery or some kind of other charismatic program? And then just spend time writing names down. Um, and then as soon as you f- feel a name come to your mind and and you have that kind of gut instinct of, oh, they're never going to say yes, so I'm not going to write their name down. That's exactly who you should write down and write (laughs) it down um, because, because again, it's like probing that. And actually, it it goes back to this kind of just fundamental principle that actually, I, I forget who said this, but there isn't a single person on this planet for whom like they wouldn't want to hear the gospel. Like, sure, some people might seem harder or more opposed to it, but at their very core, their heart desires the gospel. Their hearts need the gospel. Their heart, their hearts were made for God and their hearts will be restless until they rest in God. So therefore, deep down inside, there is a yes in every single person on this planet. And I am writing this name down with the conviction that maybe God will use me to get to that yes. 
And if I don't write their name down, I have said no. I've mm. said no, and that's it. So don't say no for people. Let them make the decision to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one how many, thing. Yeah. How many names would you suggest someone uh, write down? Because I'm thinking like if sure. if someone you know spent an hour uh, doing that exercise, they might come up with 100 names or I don't know, um, just depending on yeah the different circles uh, sure. that we were connected with. Like, yeah. So how many names would you suggest someone? I mean, if, uh, if somebody's able to come up, if somebody's able to come up with a hundred names, God bless you. That's amazing. But I would actually just take some time to prioritize as well. So if you, if somehow you came up with a hundred names, who are the top 10 people who you'd call first, who you really want the gospel for? And no, that doesn't mean the top 10 people who are most likely to say yes, but more, more likely the top 10 people who you want the gospel for the most, who do you think needs the gospel the most in those people? And I guess that would scale. So if it's, if you have a okay. list of 10 people, who are the top three people who you'd want for the most? Okay. So I'm not putting like the name of the realtor that just happened to be on the bus uh, <laughs> ad that I, I saw on my side, um, you know, as I'm driving by. Yeah, I would say, yeah, like in terms of the scope of who you want to invite, I think God uses your relationships. That There's a reason why you know the people you know and why they know you. And why is that important? Well, because there's already an implicit level of trust. Um you guys have shared life with each other. You guys have connected with each other really well. And um, they think you're a normal person. They, you know, they, they're in relationship with you. And it goes back to just this other principle that I'm super passionate about is, actually, if you really think about it, who's going to share the gospel with them if it's not you? There isn't some special crack team of missionaries who, who we're, we can just call to like send to the doorstep of those people who you want the gospel That's for. That's not you, Joe. No, it's not me. It's not me. I, I, I ain't yeah. got time for that. But it, it it's you. Like, I share that. Like, actually, there's a really good chance that if you don't do something about your friends or family or coworkers, there's a chance that they'd never hear the gospel. They never get an opportunity except through you. And actually, they might actually just be waiting for you to invite them. And they're, they've been wanting to say yes to something like this their whole lives. And they're just waiting for you to make the call. And this happened for um, one of the hosts in my alpha um he had a co-worker um who he he had had just thought of you know like they've had a few conversations about god and things like that but he knew she wasn't christian or catholic or anything like that but he invited her and she said yes and she had been waiting for an opportunity like this but so there are countless just cases of like yeah they've been waiting especially in this season to be invited to something like this to say yes to but it's just the problem is not enough people are making the invitation I appreciate what you say about um, not, um, I guess, not putting down names that you expect to say yes, uh, that you put down names as God inspires, Holy Spirit inspires, and they might say no, uh, because we know that the work of evangelization, the decisions that are being made are, are ultimately the uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and not the eloquence of our invitations or or even like the, uh, you know, it shouldn't be tied to the value of the relationships we have. It's, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're called to be faithful in the invitation. I'm a sports guy, so sports analogies always come to mind. It's like sometimes when I think of like these invitations and sort of the yes and no ratios, um, <laughs> We might think of ourselves like, you know, the Steph Curry, um, like free throw percentage, right? Like he, you know, he makes whatever it is, 96% of all of his three throws, free throws. But I actually think it's more like batting average, like, yeah. um, you know, uh, 
even the very best um, hitters in baseball, you know, have a batting average of well under uh, 400, 300. I don't know exactly what it is, which means, you know, they're, they're, they're only hitting the ball three or four times out of every 10 at bats. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yet they still do it. They like every time they step up to the plate, every time Steph Curry steps to the line, they, they're not saying today's the day I'm going to miss yeah. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. this is the mo- like they, they aim to bat a thousand and Steph Curry aims to score every single time. And that's our disposition to aim to invite uh, with an expectation uh, of a yes. But if it doesn't happen, that's OK. And it's not like the results are not up to us. It's up to the power of the Holy Spirit. And it might just not be the right time. Yeah. And I think that's a real thing that you've touched on there which is how do we deal with the rejection you know how do we deal when when people say no uh and it can be very hard and i think that's what prevents people from from acting or from trying is rejection is a real thing and people can be very hurt by rejection um it can be painful it can be sometimes humiliating um and that might influence somebody to not even try because of their experiences of rejection I know that that's been the case for me. Like I used to be dreadfully terrified of the phone in general, like calling to back as a kid when I would call to try and um, ask somebody to borrow their bass guitar for school or or to ask a girl out. It was like the worst thing ever to like get on the phone and you would run out of things to say. I remember one time I was like, hi, good night. I was was supposed to say good evening. I was terrible at the phone, but you know what? Like (laughs) rejection I mean, rejection can be like a psychological thing. There could be so much there, but it's ultimately remembering that like they're they're most likely more scared of you than you are of them. Number one, number two, uh, they're not rejecting you as a person. They're rejecting the invitation that you've made. So don't don't make the mistake of thinking they've rejected you as a person. And actually, every single person who I've invited in my life, whether I've invited them to do something with Alpha or something faith related, and they've said no, it has not affected our relationship negatively whatsoever. They just said no. And, you know, I asked them, would you be open to me asking you in the future? They said yes. So it's just, it's just, it reflects on them. So you actually lose nothing, even in rejection. So you're still going to feel scared and that's fine, but it's okay to be rejected. It's, you have the freedom to fail and, and not always win at it. And as you, as you do it more, as you get rejected more, it build, you give, you gain the resilience and the ability to just keep moving forward. And people, and not everybody will say no. You will get yeses. That's the other truth. Is like some people think everyone who I call will say no. That's not the case. Yeah, you've hit on a lot of different parts, aspects of uh, the skill of invitation. And what I appreciate about this conversation has been the intentionality that you, you've taken when it comes to invitation. It isn't just about sending a note to all of your leaders or those volunteers who are part of your alpha team and, and saying, just invite, just go out and, and invite. Your, you've come alongside them. You've addressed some of their obstacles and concerns and fears. You've encouraged, you've put people together in a, a, a virtual room mm-hmm. and you've done the work together and there has been fruit that yeah. as a result of it. So yeah. I hope that our listeners have uh, taken some uh, some notes and some key uh, tools and tips to help uh, help them in uh, their invitations and uh, and in helping lead their communities towards invitations. So, uh, Joe, I'd love to take a, a moment right now to kind of like step um, a little bit higher up in elevation sure. when it comes to missionary life and um, and in particular, I'd love to speak about 
um, the parish community yeah. and the the missionary dimension of the parish community. What are some of your dreams for parish community? Yeah, like when I think about All Saints Parish, so many parishes, and for good reason, are in this a lot of the really parishes where there's a lot of momentum are going through this kind of to use Father James Mallon, like a divine renovation experience where they're really trying to revamp the parish and bring the parishioners into this spiritual renewal or revival or deeper understanding of their relationship with God, with Jesus and, and new life. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking even a step ahead. Like I, I want that for my parish. Yes. Like I want renewal at my parish. I want everyone in the parish to have an opportunity to hear the gospel regularly and to experience conversion and to, participate in the divine life of Jesus Christ and experience healing in their lives and have a sense of the miraculous and the divine and the sacred. But I really want all saints and every parish in Vancouver to exist, not for itself. Like I want parishes to exist for the communities, for the blocks and the neighborhoods around it. Like I want to go door to door. I want to, I want to be there for the city of Coquitlam. You know, I want, I want the city of Coquitlam to think, okay, our city is suffering, our city has this need, how can All Saints help? Um, not just from a material perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. You know, I heard this quote once, I forget who it is, but uh, he, he was sitting in a meeting with his mayor, and he was asking, as a pastor of his church, what can I do? What's the best thing I can do for the city, mayor? Like, can I open up a soup kitchen? Can I help the homeless? And the mayor said, I need you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the best of your ability. And I want to be able to have that kind of relationship with the city around us, with our periphery, that that we are actually a spiritual material blessing to the to the community around us so that can provide a bridge towards coming to know Jesus and to see how the kingdom of God is entering into the world through the parish in a very real and tangible way that people can actually feel the kingdom of God and see the see what effects the kingdom of God being built in a small way through the parish has on a community, on the people of the community. I mean, I would love to see missions being sent from a parish all over the world that like, I, I would love for it to be normative to like, hey, we are like our parish mission trip is happening. Like we are going to go to the Yukon and like do like a mission, like as All Saints Parish and to share the gospel with another parish in mission. Like I would love to do that. I would love to to do missions internationally even and not just to build houses or, or to um or to you know build a school which are great things and i think we can do that but then also like can we bring the gospel to other churches like i would love for all saints to be part of like a church plant like that we have such a great we have such a growing need so that like we would do it like a church plant for all saints like doing a little parish upstart somewhere else that like like will lend leaders and people from all saints to another parish. I don't even know if such a thing is like ecclesially possible, <laughs> but like, I would just love that spirit where like, we're thinking outwards. We're thinking of blessing other people and other, other communities and other contexts, because um, that's what mission is. It looks outwards. It looks not just in and on itself. And I, I recognize that we have to kind of look outwards by looking inwards, but I want to look outwards, outwards <laughs> down the road. And I can, I, I would dream for that. I would live for that. I would die for that. It's amazing. Your, um, your zeal is infectious. And uh, what's actually coming to mind is uh, there is a paragraph in Evangelii Gaudium, um, paragraph 24, uh, which says that the church which goes forth is a community of missionary disciples who take the first step. Yeah. And it continues to say, um, you know, through understand, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it basically says like an evangelizing community that knows the Lord 
has taken that the Lord has taken the first initiative that he's loved us first mm. because we have that then we can move forward um, I think it says like that we would boldly take the initiative to go out to others and to seek those who have fallen away um, and to stand at the crossroads and welcome the outcast so uh, the parts that I remember um, you know because it has a huge imagery for me is like standing at the crossroads like mm-hmm. we're not we're not standing inside of our communities or you know in our on our campuses physically but we're we're at that moment, the the bridge moment, where society, um, you know, the the world is is all around us, but we're kind of like in that space where we're saying, look, there's, we also have a community here, and we we have an answer for some of the biggest questions that you're asking, an answer for uh, the reason for, and, and we have a reason for hope, and um, and his name is Jesus. So, um, here's a couple other thoughts to that. I think um, to what you're saying as well. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where it is, but it might also be in that same, um, same paragraph. Uh, but it says something to the effect of like evangelizers, um, are invited to take on the smell of the sheep, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of like, you know, be willing to hear the voice of others, um, you know, support and stand by people and not be in their way. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and it can be difficult and like, it can take a lot of time. So, you know, as you're speaking about kind of going out, going forth, like, um, you know, what, what are some of the steps that you're thinking about, or maybe even like, yeah, like what's like, it's great to have a preferred picture of the future, but you know, what are some of the things that you're thinking that could be like proximate actions as you're moving forward to accomplishing the, the, the dream for your parish community yeah those are great questions i mean part of it is um well number one continuing what we're doing and finish finish the alpha program and and really give people an opportunity to respond to jesus in a measured way i think the leaders that god has given um all saints is nothing short of a blessing they're amazing people with amazing capacity and it and my desire is really just to unlock the fullness of that capacity and the fullness of their own belief in themselves as leaders that, you know, this isn't just like another thing to volunteer at actually. Like, I don't want you to see this as like, um, you know, here's another kind of parish activity for me to do, but for people to see the magnanimous impact of their yes, even if it's just a couple hours a week for a few people that actually you are taking part in the tapestry of their eternal destiny. And it's no small thing. And actually the gifts and skills and the talents that God has given you in your particular way are meant to be used to the, to the max. Like you're meant to produce and be fruitful to the fullness of your extent. Yes, of course, knowing God, what state of life God has you in and respecting all those things and all those boundaries. I think I, I really want to unlock the leadership, the potential of the leadership that, that God has given the team um, at All Saints to its fullest capacity and to be part of not just you know, keeping the engine running, but but moving towards that reality that actually you need to give the best that you possibly can with what you have uh, so, so towards building that. So part of that is just um, building a team, getting to know one another, that kind of thing. And also just making the, the road to responding and to stepping up towards this vision shorter and simpler, like keeping it simple and not making it too complicated that... You don't need to be immensely qualified to contribute to the mission of evangelization. Uh, you just have to love Jesus and you just have to be able to talk about your own love for Jesus, why you love Jesus and when that started for you. 
And if you can't articulate that, then then you'd then I'd love to talk about Jesus with you. That's kind of the way I see it. Um, but if you love Jesus and you want to serve him and you want to follow him, to me, that's the prerequisite. You might not know a single thing about sacramental theology, about the history of the church. We'll figure that out someday. Um, but let's talk about Jesus. Let's walk with Jesus. And let's invite people to, to, to this Jesus that you've just met. Uh, that's I, I just want to live out of that as much as possible. Uh, and it might be challenging for a lot. You know, there might be people hearing this who are like, but are you sure they're ready? You know, are they mature enough? And one thing that's challenged me is just this idea of multipliers. Like you and I talk about this book by Liz Wiseman, Multipliers, all the time. And it, it's really rocked my world because I'm a person who, who would be that type of person. You're not ready yet. You got to do the X, Y, and Z before you're ready. And it would be kind of an exclusive mindset. This has really shifted my vision in like, I used to ask the question, they got to be smart enough. Are they smart or not? Um, but Liz Wiseman tells you, it's not a question of if they are smart or not. It's a question of how they are smart. Assume people are smart enough to figure it out. Figure out how they're smart and then and then leverage that and ask good questions and believe, just have the belief that everyone God gives you has the capacity to do great things for God because of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's your job as a leader to figure out how they're smart and how God wants to use them. Not if God wants to use them. God wants to use everyone. How does God want to use them? That's your job. That's your job as a leader. Your your disposition is uh, so positive. It's inspiring. You've you've cast a and a compelling vision for the future that uh, that's quite big and and you know larger than any one of our one of us. It invites us into mission in such a grand way. And I want to contrast that against um, the reality that we are living in today, the pandemic, the, yeah. um, you know, the, the doors that are being closed, the social guidelines, the limits to gathering, um, you know, it, it could easily, easily be a moment of discouragement. And, um, and I haven't heard anything of that from you. And I, you know, I know you're not like, you know, sort of this raw, raw optimist, you know, like, like everything is uh, sunshine and rainbows and there's nothing wrong with the world. Like, like, let's just keep moving forward. Um, I think it's, you know, you've, you've taken the time to reflect on and are aware of our reality. So, you know, like where, where does this zeal and excitement and, and all of that come from in contrast to the reality that we're, we're in today? I mean, I'll be real. The The pandemic has been difficult for myself, like for my family, like my wife works in healthcare. So like we've been, we've gone through our fair share of testing and we've had our challenges with Marion, my wife working at the COVID clinic. And that's been personally challenging. So I'm, I'm not a stranger. I'm not kind of just, you're right. Like I'm not ignoring the realities that we're in, but I think I've, I have, I don't know. I have an entrepreneurial mindset when it comes to, to these things. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm using that word wrong, but I love, at least lately, I just feel like I'm living out of a freedom of we're going to try something and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Uh, and actually, I don't want to be the guy who says, who's afraid of trying something thinking it's going to fail. Um, I would love to fail. I would love to fail and fail faster and then figure out what is going to work. And you know what? We tried a bunch of different things like in my work with, with CCO doing outreach because like, how are we going to reach out to people when we can't, when young people aren't at universities and we're not at universities, how are we going to connect with them? So we tried a number of things. To be honest, some of the things didn't work out as best as we thought they would. And I'm okay with that. That's what gives me the confidence and the freedom and the ability to, to stay positive and to, to not be downtrodden because I think it's just a failure is part of the process. Like to try something 
and to have something not work out versus not doing anything. I think if I just sat there and did nothing, that's when I'd be kind of mopey and just say, nothing works. Well, obviously, because you didn't do anything. Whereas for me, I've tried a bunch of things. Like I've tried and failed at a, at a number of things. And I would say my failure rate is quite high because my attempt rate is quite high when it comes to <laughs> trying new things for the gospel. But but I also find a lot of success because I'm trying so many things. Um, and And I guess my confidence, my zeal comes from the fact that God wants this to happen. Uh, and I know that because we've made phone calls and we didn't think Alpha was going to be maybe super successful online, but we're getting 30, 40 people coming every week. And uh, I, I have a person in my Alpha small group who found us through Google. We didn't even put anything on Google. And so I could just sense that there's a spirit far greater than our efforts that's working. Like, I, I don't remember putting anything that we have on Google, yet this person found us through Google and he, he signed up and showed up to the first session, and immediately after the first session, writes me an email and says, that was way better than I expected. So I, I just, I have the confidence knowing that this isn't my project. This isn't my idea. This is God's idea, and I can't fail when it's ultimately God's ideas. And yes, there are micro failures here and there, like in in, in the, the, la the lag or the gap between my trying to interpret what God's will is, and I'm okay with getting it wrong, because I know ultimately God... God isn't going to, it's not going to lead to a terminal failure where I can't recover. So I guess, yeah, it comes from that. Just this sense of like, let's just keep trying. Let's, let's fail and let's figure it out. Um, it's okay to fail. It's okay to get rejected. It's okay to get it wrong and just figure it out. There's grace for that. And I, I would love for the church just to have more of that mindset um, of like, let's, let's try and, um, and learn from our experiences. Like there's no such thing as losing in my head. It's you win and you win or you learn. That's that's some good words of wisdom, and and I think it comes from uh, a deep understanding uh, and ex an encounter of of the Lord, yeah, um, in your life. And we know that the Lord is just that; He is Lord. He's the King. He has conquered yeah. all things, and and so as He invites us to continue in the mission, um, He He's asking us to be faithful to it. And he's taking on the role of being successful and fruitful and all of that. And, and, um, and that, that comes out of, like you said, just step up to the plate, get in the game, like do the thing. Um, if you don't, of course, you're going like, you know, you're going to go for O for O. Um, but uh, if you get, if you step up to bat, you, 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 you might miss a few times, you, you know, you might swing and kind of, um, yeah, definitely like strike out. Uh, but you might also hit the home run. And, and that'll uh, happen. And you can learn. That can happen. Yeah. Like, I think having the freedom to fail and not have things not work out, I think requires a deep sense of joy and delight and freedom that actually my ability to perform, and this is a very deep spiritual reality, is like my, I, my identity or my, my validation is, needs to be detached from this idea of success. And actually, it's only in that in that framework of realizing I'm I actually am living out of the fact that God loves me so much, uh, and so nothing can go wrong at that point. Like I can do anything, and I could invite a hundred people, and one person shows up, and you know what? Like God still loves me, and that hasn't changed. And so I can I can lead that one person with delight and absolute joy and freedom, and not worry about how it reflects on my performance or abilities, because that's just not the way God sees things. Like that's not the way. Like God isn't. God sees the attempts and he delights in the attempts. 
God doesn't see your lack of fruitfulness and say, what, what, where, where did you go wrong? That's our own kind of projection of like our, our, mm-hmm. our, our old ex boss. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely. Well, uh, this conversation has been so encouraging to me. I know that, uh, our listeners, uh, have, I hope that our listeners have taken something of, of our conversation, uh, a tip, a trick an encouragement, um, Joe, as we wrap up our conversation, is there anything in particular that you would love to um, to say to our program listeners by way of encouragement? Yeah, I think everybody listening has the capacity today to do something concrete, to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. It could even be just a simple invitation of, hey, let's let's grab a Zoom call or let's chat over the phone. Let's talk about something and share your story. Uh, and these people you can invite to your next discovery or alpha there's nothing holding you back from starting and doing something simple and but you have no idea like you don't need to create a whole huge whole new program in order to get to do something cr- key and crucial to to advance the gospel and the kingdom forward so and there there there's no you don't need a bachelor's degree or theology degree to to get started like literally today like after you hear this podcast you can pick up the phone and do something and move the gospel forward Well, I hope that you've all been encouraged by our conversation. And as you consider your own missionary discipleship, uh, just know that Proclaim is with you and we are here. And as you continue to move and invite and consider action in the mission, uh, we want to come alongside. And so um, we hope that this has been an encouraging conversation. And yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. So thank you for listening and God bless you.